Welcome to Hunter's Quest Podcast. My name is Hunter, but this is our quest. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Hunter's Quest Podcast. I am your host, and yes, my name is Hunter. And on this episode, I sit down with my buddy and former Navy Special Warfare combatant craft crewman, Ned. Uh, He was my partner for our 2020 Alaskan DIY caribou adventure. And I actually decided to break this episode up into two parts because we had like a two and a half hour long conversation. So um, this first episode, we cover a little bit of Ned's background because I think he's going to be someone you might be hearing more from. Uh, We're doing this Kodiak trip together in 2021. So I want you guys to know a little bit about him. Um, And I learned a lot from him. So um, also we cover trip prep. Uh, you know, a little bit about gear. Um, and uh, and then in the next episode, we'll really recap the whole trip and go through it in detail. But at the end of this one, um, I actually go through a uh, pretty good, but not completely exhaustive, but pretty good list of um, about 10 or 12 of the most essential gear items I could think about. Um, a lot of the stuff that I knew nothing about before this trip, but did a lot of research Um, into gear and especially gear for Alaska so if you're interested in hearing about um, some really key pieces of gear that you definitely need for Alaska stick around at the end of the episode um, and I go through all that stuff and in detail and talk about specific brands and items that you definitely want to look into so stick around for that and don't worry if Alaska is not on your radar right now or not yet Uh, This is all still really good information for any kind of backcountry hunt. If you're looking to get into western hunting or backpack hunting, even if it's here in the east, um, this is good stuff and the gear recommendations will help you out. Um, So stick around and also I'm going to release the second part of this episode, which will be the actual hunt recap and the stories of how it all went down uh, next week. We normally release every two weeks, but I'm going to go ahead and put that one out next Sunday. So hit that subscribe button and uh, check out the posts on Instagram for all the pictures and the videos to go along with what we're talking about. And, you know, in this episode, we touch on a lot of aspects of uh, prep and backcountry nutrition and fitness and gear. Um, A lot of it's pretty general information. Um, but all these topics are things that I'm going to dive really deeply into with all my guests coming up that just know a ton and are kind of experts in each area. Um, so if this stuff is interesting to you, you definitely want to stick around in future episodes because we're going to have people that um, know a lot about all these different things that we touch on and are going to go really in depth uh, into those things. So I hope you'll stick around, share the podcast with friends and really glean some valuable information. And to go along with the theme of today's episode, I found Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So when I started off this prep for this trip, I was a backcountry fool, but I was teachable. I was not wise in my own eyes, and I was willing to learn and uh, just grew a ton in 2020. Uh, with the goal of this trip in mind. So there's some great info here. Stick around, and I'm sure you guys can learn too if you can just uh, stay teachable. 
so yeah, let's just jump into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to Hunter's Quest podcast. I'm here with my buddy Ned, who I went to Alaska with uh, in 2020. Believe it or not, that was my first backpack hunt, my first like Western kind of hunt. Um, and just learned a ton and just constantly for like eight months bombarded Ned with questions and uh, learned a lot from him. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that and hit a bunch of different topics today. Um, but yeah, so Ned uh, is retired Navy, right? Is that the word? Retired? <laughs> There, there were a lot of people who would get real up in arms okay. if you said the word retired about a guy who did six years. But yeah, I, uh, I did six years in the Navy. Just okay. got out a year ago. And um, what was your job? Yeah, so I was a special operator in the Navy. Um, nobody's, nobody knows what you mean when you say SWIC, <laughs> which is what I was. Stands for Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewman. Um, we're basically the mobility side of naval special warfare. So, uh, yeah, to put it concisely, man, basically, you know, graduated college and went off and did that uh, for six years. Jumped out some planes, shot some big guns. Nice. Uh, learned a lot of stuff from some pretty inspirational mentor types. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Um, and we might delve into that a little more, but... Uh, me and Ned actually went to the same high school, um, <clears throat> didn't really know each other, but we were like two years apart and, uh, had a friend of a friend and, um, just kind of just sort of connected semi randomly, but, uh, you had a pretty good season though, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I can't complain. Uh, it was pretty much playing everything on expert level difficulty, uh, between our hunt and then, uh leftover mule deer tag in wyoming that is notorious for you know low success rates being that was a in, real easy tag to draw that was in medicine bow yeah it was in the medicine bow route national forest uh region j okay um a lot of tags a lot of hunters a concurrent elk season happening then mm. as well which a lot of four-wheelers ripping around through pretty much all of the good areas that I yeah. had e-scouted before <laughs> before I got there. Phrase. But you did. <laughs> yeah. You did get a nice buck though, right? This year? I did. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh first whitetail that I have ever killed while wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> like only a t-shirt. Yeah. Shot a pretty decent, you know. Uh, he's probably four and a half at least my buddy who is a real whitetail wizard he thinks that thing could be like eight or nine years old just looking at the pictures it was a gnarly rack he's yeah he's a gnarly old uh 10 point and yeah i shot him like 90 seconds after getting into the stand at like 1 30 p.m the (laughs) that that specific animal was just peak rut i mean he was he was running a doe down actively. Like I heard the doe just crashing through this cypress swamp where I was hunting. And, uh, you know, obviously just not a care in the world except evading whatever was behind her. And he came in, same thing. And then, uh, I mean, he was not paying any attention to his surroundings. Yeah, There was a small six point that was limping that I'm pretty sure he may have injured earlier because I saw the six point earlier that day in the exact same area. Yeah. And uh, 
when that six points started closing in on the doe he was chasing, he just like dropped everything. Did not see me breaking my black powder rifle open to prime it. <laughs> Again, wearing a t-shirt about a third of the way up the tree that this I was This is like in. at 1.30 in the afternoon. Right? <laughs> just broad daylight yeah. on like a you know bluebird sunny day. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, you... This time of year, if you had made a fifth of the movement that I did when I was getting ready to shoot this animal, you'd be busted from a hundred yeah. yards away. But this this thing, so just, one thing on his mind. Yeah, no cares in the world. Yeah. Um, all right, cool, man. Well, let's let's dive in here. I just want to I do want to give a little more background on you, just so people know you and um, how did you like? Tell me your story a little bit about like how how you fell in love with. Alaska and outdoors and um and how you got started hunting because I know you didn't really grow up hunting right yeah man um you know I grew up doing pretty much everything else outdoors always used to do a lot of fishing and uh got pretty big into free dive spear fishing in high school um which is abstractly a kind of hunting I guess oh for sure um <clears throat> so been doing that since I mean middle school uh with some of the other guys we went to high school with um alaska i i gotta give a lot of credit to my parents they uh they took me and my sister on a family vacation up there when i was probably like 12 okay. or 13 or something and the year after that i was like man that's that was just so cool like i gotta go check more of that place yeah. out so um and i did a bunch of knolls and wilderness ventures, backpacking trips up there, which were just incredible. Anyway, I did like, I think I did four trips up there. So you grew up doing the knolls trips, yeah, and the man. family vacation. But then, when did you make that leap into hunting? <laughs> yeah, the way the way that I got started holistically in my life uh, with hunting was uh, in college. Just had some buddies that, you know, I saw them doing it, and I was like whatever, man, <laughs> I got that. Like, <laughs> those nerds can pull that together, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I killed a little, in hindsight, not quite mature, six point. <laughs> I mean, dude, first deer, anything. Yeah, good, yeah. Uh, from the ground, about 25-yard shot, which is nice. probably about all the distance uh, that you need to be shooting <laughs> when you're... With a bow, or...? Uh, no, I was uh, okay. with a little three oh eight that I got at a pawn shop. Okay. Um... That's yeah, cool. it was actually it's still have the land. stock from that rifle. Yeah, it was a public land Virginia whitetail. That's awesome, dude. Um, yeah, that was my freshman year of college. Little, you know, know nothing eighteen year old who, like, I I really honestly had absolutely no clue what I was but doing. But when you're eighteen, though you know nothing, you think you know everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I definitely remember uh, being cognizant enough of the fact that I didn't know how to break down a deer to call one of my buddies and be like, Hey man, can, can, can you help me out? Like I got this thing. Can you help me out? He's yeah. like, yes, I will do that. If you give me one of the back straps. And I was like, sweet, I'm about to learn uh, what the back straps look like nice. on this thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, <laughs> very shortly after that found out that, uh, you know, through a bunch of people that I knew family connections, I had like, a bunch of access to some pretty decent hunting uh, back home. And yeah, it just became an, an obsession after that. Nice, I dude. was uh, out there every So after that every first day, after that first deer is like, yeah, this is sick. I want to do this. Well, actually really the first time I went hunting was before that I went out and shot unlimited doves with, okay. uh, with one of my, <laughs> one of my 
friends in my freshman class and i was like dude this is pretty cool yeah um yeah dubs where i got my start too man that's where everyone starts i think it's just so approachable it is all you need is a fun sh- shotgun box of shells you don't even need camo yeah you just sat there living it's warm <laughs> yeah so good and dove is delicious uh, not a lot of the conspicuous drawbacks to big game hunting that i have been experiencing over the past week <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude um so and then uh i guess after college did you go right into the navy after that uh, I guided uh, some fishing trips for a little while. Um, in Virginia? Or? Yeah, in okay. Virginia. Um, that was back in the day, man, when we still had that fire striper fishery going on. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that was in 2012 when I graduated, and the striped bass fishery was still just world-class then, yeah. man. We would just – I mean, if you had the right moon phase and the right tide, you'd be guaranteed to put citations in the boat. After you did some guiding, then is that when you got into the Navy or – yeah, then it uh, would have been March of 2013, uh, went to boot camp up at Great Mistakes, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so like I said, you were a SWIC, which is, um, say it again, what is it? Yeah, it stands for Special Warfare yeah. Combatant Craft Crewman. There are actually three C's there, one of which yeah. was dyslexically omitted by whoever came <laughs> up with that acronym, evidently. Yeah. I know some of it's probably classified, but just like briefly, like what kind of stuff would, would you do that, that you can talk about? Um, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a line there. Cause honestly, most of the programs that I was in are, uh, not, not necessarily podcast material, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, there, I mean, if you go, you know, YouTube Swick, you'll see, uh, You'll see all variety of uh, fast boats, big guns, guys jumping out of planes, guys jumping out of planes with boats, with guns, um, all sorts of stuff like that, man. And I, yeah, when I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do something in the special operations realm of the world. I was, I was looking at Army SF. I was looking at going to Buds to be a SEAL, and uh, I just kind of started pulling the thread on that, and I was like dude, that looks like a pretty badass job. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I already have quite a bit of experience with boats. Right. I had gotten my hundred ton when I was like my hundred ton, uh, captain's license okay. when I was a senior in high school, you know, I've been doing a lot of boat driving my whole life. And, uh, you know, I was grew up shooting guns and everything and, uh, kind of seemed like a natural marriage yeah. of those pursuits. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, and then yeah, when man. did you, um, so you found out you loved hunting. When did you kind of like get serious about Western hunting and going after different species and stuff like that? Oh man. First Western hunt I did was in 2016. It was, uh, actually after my first deployment, getting back from, uh, the first deployment I did, I, uh, just got (laughs) a, I guess it's not over the counter, but at that time, Montana had a deer elk combination license that you could apply for and it was like a hundred percent draw, which I understand is not the case anymore, but it was a very easy license to get. Um, me and, uh, one of my other buddies from NA, uh, picked that license up kind of semi last minute and, uh, went out there with my dad. We did an elk hunt, uh, (laughs) that occurred in like really wildly hot temperatures for Montana. It was the beginning of November and it was like in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. so there was like very very little big game movement um 
but I ended up, uh, I ended up just kind of walking off on my own at one point. I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to just take a walk over to this meadow here and, uh, shot a nice cow elk. Nice. <laughs> so that specific moment was definitely when I got hooked, you know, like it was, uh, it was a guided thing. Uh, you know, it was public land and it was like, I mean, the guide would take like one guy and the other guy would go do his stuff. So, I mean, semi-guided, I guess. Uh, Our guide was really good. Skip, if you're listening, you're the man. (laughs) Um, Learned a lot from him. Uh, But yeah, dude, just kind of like wandered off through this meadow and like started following this set of tracks that were very obviously very fresh of a large group of elk. I was like, yeah, I'll follow these for a little bit, see how they go. And uh, I was like, man, those are looking real fresh i might want to keep my head on a swivel and like right as i thought the word swivel i like looked up and there was this herd of like 20 cow elk just right on the edge of this meadow and i just like slowly got down onto one knee waited for them to get basically behind some scrub brush where i could like take my rifle off my shoulder yeah shot and sent it right through the heart of one of the cows it was a perfect shot and yeah man it was like at that point, I had been whitetail hunting for uh, six or seven years, and like in that moment, I was like, "Dude, this is a totally different game. Like this yeah. is this is like whitetail hunting's awesome. I love it. Yeah, um, it's just totally different. Yeah. It's just more being out west, man. The it's, scenery. It is wild. Yeah, I shot that thing at like in the. Uh, let me see if I'm gonna get this name right. The Beaverhead Deer Lodge National Forest, I believe, Western Montana, um, near the town of Anaconda, Montana. And yeah, it was just, I still have the panoramic picture from where I shot that thing, man. Just beautiful snow-capped mountains all around in this big alpine meadow. And like the size of an elk, even a cow elk, uh, (laughs) when you get up to it, if the only thing that you've ever shot in your life are whitetail, you just get up to it and you're like, oh my God, dude, this thing is... (laughs) This thing is crazy. Well, that's awesome. So then, um, and we don't have time to get into like all the hunts you did because we got so much to cover. Oh, although yeah. I'd love to at some point, but just give me like a play by play of all the kind of Western, like just did this one, you know, like a list of all the Western hunts you've done. Yeah, man. Uh, so did Montana elk deer combo, um, moose caribou in Alaska, uh pronghorn out in wyoming which you were successful yep yeah shot a pretty decent pronghorn on a second choice unit you know there's nothing yeah nothing that most people would say to write home about but i think it's cool tag you tagged it um yeah and uh then done mule deer wyoming uh caribou alaska blacktail alaska uh, did nil guy down in Texas yeah. this past year, which and you killed a really nice bull in Alaska. That one trip you killed two blacktail on your blacktail trip. Right. Yep. And then you got the nil guy on your last hunt this year. Yep. Yeah. And man. does that take us up to now? Uh, I think so. Cool. <laughs> so Pretty yeah, sure. successful, um, career, especially since just starting like really hunting in college. That's pretty cool, man. Um, you know, I've been hunting for a lot longer than that, but still I've just learned a ton from you. Cause, and with the Western stuff, did you kind of like, were you kind of just figuring it out as you went along or did, was like, what'd you, how do you, what was the learning curve like on that? 
Yeah, it definitely should be referred to as a learning curve <laughs> because if, if what you've done is whitetail in the east, then it is steep. Yeah. Um, I recommend just immersing yourself in every resource possible. You know, they're like so many books written about it. They're really awesome resources. Um, you know, you can read a lot of stuff online, which is good to take with a grain of salt. I kind of did a combination of all that. And then, you know, like I said, that first elk uh, mule deer combo trip that my buddy and I did, we did guided, which kind of eases the transition a little bit, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, like I said, our guide on that trip was awesome. Uh, definitely learned a ton from him. Yeah. And, uh, so just kind of put all of that together, man. And, um, you know, you just, it's, it's like how, you always hear you should learn something every time you go out. Well, it's kind of like every Western trip you do. Just be ready to drink from a fire hose the whole time. <laughs> That's yeah. stuff you're going to be learning. Different oh, yeah. Climates, different game species, you know, all the way down to the to the, the logistics of regulations yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, transport and all of that, you know. Um, yeah, there's definitely a ton to learn. Uh, but... If you have a healthy obsession and some time in the off season, yeah, <laughs> then, it's a good way to occupy yourself. For yeah, sure. man. And then kind of like how we sort of came together. So, like I said, we have some mutual friends. Uh, man, I, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna estimate it was probably about ten years ago the first time we met, which seems like a long time, but we didn't see each other for like several year gaps in there. But um. I think the first time we met, I came out to your family place. We we're doing a goose hunt, and <laughs> I, it was funny because I was in like this super hippie phase of my life, and I think you were probably just entering into the Navy or around that time. Um, and so we were in just in very different phases of life, and like I remember being like, "Dude, this guy is super intense. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can handle this guy." But over time, I straightened up a little bit, and I think you mellowed out a little bit. I don't know. Not not like you were intense in a bad way. It's just like when you're hippied out like I was. <laughs> I don't know. But we we ended up um, being really good partners on this on this backcountry Alaska trip. But anyway, so we. Um, we hunted a few times together, very little. And then I don't know, I guess we were just like friends on Instagram or whatever. And then I got a message one day from you like, Hey, um, it probably was sort of a hail Mary. I don't know. Cause if anybody, if, if any guys out there have, you know, started planning one of these trips, um, it can be a challenge to find someone willing to take off work and spend the money and the time uh, to go on one of these kind of crazy adventures, um, you know, no guarantee of a harvest and, uh, just the investment in time and energy. Um, you know, not even every hunter is down to do it. So it can be a difficult thing, especially on some of these more difficult trips to find someone to go with. So, um, what, like, what made you send that message to me? <laughs> Oh, dude, I, I messaged like 20 people about that trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, you got to know when you're planning when you're planning a trip like that, it's like a Venn diagram, you know? You've yeah. got on one side, you've got like uh, people who are willing to do the trip. And on the other side, you've got like people who could successfully complete a trip like that <laughs> without yeah. like 
getting themselves or someone else killed. And <laughs> the overlap between those two is uh, pretty selective. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like, so- it's like, you know, I, I, I know a lot of guys who hunt and fish and everything. Um, like a, a lot of guys say like, Oh man, I really want to go on all these trips. And honestly, it's like, nothing against like family obligations and work. And like you said, all that stuff gets in the way, Um, you know, and uh, it's a sacrifice, man. Yeah. It's a big sacrifice. I mean, you know, I have two small kids and um, you know, my wife wasn't stoked to hear that I was going to be, you know, going to Alaska for 10 days. Um, But, you know, like I said to her, it's just like, we're hunters, we're men. Like for us, there's something inside of me that just, has to do this stuff to like live fully. Like I, I wouldn't be complete without it. So I'm super happy that I was one of the 30 people you messaged (laughs) and somehow I, I maybe, maybe fit that Venn diagram. But, um, I think we both kind of lucked out there because partner selection for something like this is, is a big deal. Uh, I mean, if you end up in the back country with somebody for 10 days, you know, seven, five, 10 days, whatever it is, that's just complaining the whole time or super negative or just whining or, you know, or just, I don't know, being crazy. I mean, it can really ruin your trip. Um, so you do want to be somewhat selective, but another thing that, that we were able to do, I think, which was smart, which is something that if you're able to do, you should, is we, you know, started on planning this thing early and starting to get started getting together regularly to go shoot and just kind of got to know each other a little bit through that. And, um, and Ned coached me a lot actually, cause I grew up in a County where you couldn't rifle hunt. So I bow hunted almost exclusively and then some shotgun. So like literally up until this year, I knew almost nothing about rifles. Just, I was just like, Oh yeah, you know, slap a scope on there and just, you know, just shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's like a whole thing. So I learned a ton this year, uh, from Ned about rifle shooting and everything. So, um, if you had that chance, you know, get out there with your partner beforehand. And then we also did like a training kind of trip. We tested all our gear out. We actually camped for a night out in the mountains in Virginia, did a, a little, uh, little hike. Um, so I thought that, that was pretty good. Oh man, you gotta, you gotta have some prep trips before you go for sure. Uh, because like you were saying, you are going to run into adversity in the back country. <laughs> like there's, there, there, there are almost no trips that happen in a real backcountry environment where something doesn't go wrong. And you got to just know that you're on the same page before you get on the X and in a bad situation. Like, you know, in our case, just one very brief example. Um, Like we got into this awesome area and tons of sign saw a nice bull on the way in that trotted by us i don't want to get too far ahead of us nice bull trotted by us literally could not take three steps without stepping in caribou dropping it was it was just like a like we we get in there and we're like hell yeah dude our site selection has been absolutely on point we got in far enough to get past the crowds there's sign everywhere you know beautiful habitat this is going to be sick and then we set up camp and didn't see a living animal for three days (laughs) and like when something like that happens it's easy to get discouraged so you gotta know like 
you got to know that you're going to be on the same page yeah. with whoever you're hunting and we, with. And, and just we stayed like, pretty positive the whole time. Oh, dude, we stayed super positive yeah. and uh, had some had some ptarmigan tacos. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. Hold on, we'll get there. <laughs> but um, yeah. just going back to like pre-trip, because I do want to go through all that, of course. But um, were you worried at all that I would be ready to go when the time came? Nah, man. No, you can, you can absolutely tell, like you you can tell if someone has invested the requisite amount of effort into the preparation for a trip like this. Like <laughs> if you're doing your, uh, your final range day before you go on a trip like this and you're like, all right, let's send a few at a hundred and your boy, like can't hit the broad side of a barn <laughs> he's like oh yeah i just put this on yesterday yeah. you know like that's a bad indication that yeah. was very clearly not the case with uh with our trip you yeah, know man. i think i think we were over prepared like vastly more prepared than yeah the majority of people who try something like that but, so so no not at all dude it was awesome i mean because this this, I'm like I said, I'm so glad that I that you asked me and then I was able to say yes because this trip lit a fire under me. Like I said, this is my first backpack hunting trip. I didn't barely even know what backpack hunting was. Um, I didn't know about like all like training and fitness and like being ready for the mountains, but I started looking at some stuff online and started realizing like we're gonna be like in the mountains and um, we're gonna have to have like five days of camp and rifles on our back. And I was like, um, Ned's in really good shape. Like I'm probably gonna have to like start training. So it was really good for me, man. I, I just dove into, like you were saying, all the resources that are out there, listen to some really great podcasts. Some of those podcast guys are going to be guests later, which I'm really excited about. Um, and started really training hard. I, I went, I drew, I went from 215 when Ned invited me down to where I am now at 180 just hitting it in the gym so i'd be ready for these mountains and keeping up with him because he's like a mountain goat in the mountains <laughs> but uh it was awesome man so um i learned a ton through this whole experience and uh i'm glad it, it worked out so speaking of that stuff like what's your philosophy on like physical fitness and like readiness for this kind of thing uh if i had to distill it i would say consistency is key yeah yeah like you know, you develop a good plan and you just have to stick with it. Um, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of fitness programs out there, some of which are really great. Um, you know, I know guys who've gotten excellent results preparing for stuff like this with programs that, uh, that they've used, they found online and all that. Um, but really more than anything, you know, you, you just got to stay with it. Uh, a, a lot of people that I see will, when they're preparing for something like this, try to condense the physical part of their prep or I guess more often leave it until a month or two beforehand. Yeah. And like, I remember <clears throat> when I was in, uh, when I was in prep, when I was in buds prep. So for everybody listening, uh, seal and Swick candidates go through this preparatory course that basically physically conditions you to, you know, be able to go through a special operations selection process. Anyway, um, I remember one of the terms that they, that the coaches who are like Olympic athletes would always tell us was training base. Like you got to keep your training base consistent. And, uh, pretty much what that means is that if you have a lot of experience with the kind of training and if you stay with it consistently, 
then it's very easy to make your prep a smooth transition from a physical perspective. Uh, you try to cram it all into the two months immediately preceding yeah. month preceding the trip like this, you know, your chance of getting hurt or anything goes way up. And also, you know, like this is another thing that I learned in prep from the coaches there who are just awesome. Uh, your anaerobic gains take like two weeks to manifest themselves. Like if you go for, say you're training for a trip like this and you go for a five mile run today, then physiologically your body doesn't even see the advantages of that workout for like two weeks. Huh. You know, everything is, everything is much more delayed than you think. So like to circle back to our prep for this trip, we were hitting it hard, like <laughs> seven, eight months in advance, oh, yeah. man. I mean, we were, I'd be like I you said, text, like check out this workout. Again, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like we were, we were preparing so far in advance for this trip and it was great because in the month preceding, you know, the go time when we were going to leave, it just, it makes everything so much lower stress. Oh yeah. You know, it's like everybody, like you already got all your stuff sorted, you know, gear wise, mm -hmm. physically, logistically, all that. I mean, yeah, just yeah. way better, way that, better way to do it. That just reminded me of this verse when you said that. We rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces confidence. That's Romans 5.3. So, yeah, when you make yourself suffer for eight months in the gym, and then you build character, and then you get out there, and you're confident. And I remember even when we were driving in, in our U-Haul, which we'll get to that, in our U-Haul rental, having that feeling in my stomach like, when we were about to, you know, hike in, like almost like you used to get like before a sports game or something or like before a football game is like been prepping for months. Like it's go time. We're about to dive in here. Pretty awesome. Yeah. That's the sickest feeling in the world though, man. Like I, I remember Slightly fearful. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anticipation, yeah. Uh, healthy, healthy dose of apprehension, maybe, uh, yeah. you know, in terms of like, all right, do I, did I really select my gear correctly? What if the conditions are like the worst case scenario? Yeah. But that's so sick. I, I remember the feeling like before a game, like you were talking about, it is definitely very comparable to that. But when you're like getting ready to get on the X on one of these trips, man, I think it's magnitudes greater. Yeah. When we, when we pulled up and saw that awesome tundra habitat, I was like, dude, I am so stoked. Yep. I don't even like, you know, especially because I was the one that had been e-scouting it. So there was yeah. some degree of relief associated with oh, that yeah. on my end. Cause I'm like, all right, I didn't drag this dude out here to some <laughs> hunting spot. <laughs> we did yeah. have a great trip. Um, like there was some adversity in there for sure, but always is man. Yeah. Always is. Um, but it's, yeah, there's nothing like that feeling, man. Oh, dude, it's it's so cool. And uh, let's see, do we want to talk about this coming August just real quick? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So uh, for anybody listen, I'm, I've just been stoked out of my face because uh, basically, bottom line, doing Kodiak 2021 last week of August. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just love that place. It's so sick. And like getting dropped off by an air taxi – the same kind of feeling when you're like oh, when you're like coming in on final seeing the area from the air when you're getting ready to get dropped off and then the real 
the real part that punctuates the infill experience in my mind is watching the plane take off and just looking around and knowing that you're surrounded (laughs) by like hundreds of thousands of acres of national wildlife refuge in the case of Kodiak and uh of just like total wilderness yeah (laughs) it's it's just so sick it's like all right we're in it now whether we're ready for it or not (laughs) Uh, that's gonna be amazing looking forward to that more on that later more Um, later yeah uh anything else on like prep i mean there's a couple things i want to talk about real quick uh gear wise yeah just do your research but um i don't know well, I'll get more into gear, I think, as we go into the actual trip recap. Anything else you want to say about prep? Um, just as far as the gear goes, uh, <laughs> one one specific point that I would make that really, like, it, it seems pretty obvious, but I've seen it go wrong a few times. Uh, every single piece of gear that you're going to bring, especially on a backpack hunt, you know, where you're rationing the amount of food that you're going to have per day and you know, rationing the weight of stuff that you're going to be able to take in. You need to have touched and used every single item that you are going to bring. And you can't be like taking the shrink wrap off something when you're in the back country. You gotta, you gotta give everything a solid full system op test before you're heading in. Um, yeah, Yeah. I just, I've, I've heard some horror stories. I've seen a little bit of that and it's, you know, it's like if you either get back there and don't have everything you need to make a piece of gear work or you get a piece of gear that's non-functional from the factory for whatever reason. Yeah. And it's like it kind of sunk in with me, actually, when we were back there and I realized how much effort we had just put into getting there. And I was like, you know, it's not just a 500 yard little stroll back to the truck. Like <laughs> we're in here like if something goes wrong, like you know, it's on us and our legs get out of here unless we want to hit that SOS button, which nobody wants to do. But I did want to say just about the, the fitness aspect of preparation. Like you're talking about that base, that is huge because, um, you know, you want to start building that base, like you said, months in advance. And that's just very general fitness, like just getting in shape. And then as you get closer to the event, uh, you can do start doing more stuff like event specific stuff, you know, like uh, I did a lot of this, like, you know, I, I just did CrossFit for a few months, but then as I started getting closer, I would kind of modify the CrossFit workouts to like, um, you know, if they were doing, I don't know if they were doing like dips or something, I would replace that with like a sandbag get up, or um, I would actually bring my pack in with a 50 pound bag of sand in it and do like, you know, a hundred step ups with that instead, or, or even finish the workout with a bunch of step ups. Um, you know, we're, we're in a flat land, so it's pretty hard for us to train for mountains. We don't have any mountains unless you get a couple hours away, but the more specific you can get to what you're going to be doing, the better, because, um, I mean, you can work out in the gym, even doing stuff like CrossFit. It's still not an exact match to having a heavy pack. I remember like the first ascent we went up, I was like, man, I, you know, I, I was doing squats and step ups and all that stuff, like kind of the best stuff you can do and researching what the best stuff was. But once you get that heavy pack on, you're working muscle groups that you don't really work unless you're extremely specific. I mean, your glutes are on fire. So, and we were joking the whole time about having, what was it? Like tungsten carbide glute muscles (laughs) or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, a lot of lot of auxiliary muscles involved with carrying a heavy load like that. That 
yeah, it, you just you can't hit them with any kind of major Olympic lift. Yeah. It's they're just it's it's really hard to train those without getting into a situation like yeah yeah you know like we don't have any of the mountains near here really really tough to replicate what it's going to be like to climb a thousand feet right. up the side of a mountain yeah. that's you know partially scree partially tundra but but getting back to like um rationing your gear and all that stuff that's another thing where do a do a weekend trip do a test trip because on your first time, you will want to overpack, especially if you're like me and you want to be prepared for anything. You're going to want to pack everything. And my pack was pretty full. <laughs> the first pack in, like I had, I had a lot of food and um, I did a pretty good job, I'd say, for a first time, but it was still like probably heavier than it needed to be. Plus my rifle was like 10 pound rifle. And so I've been working on that stuff and shaving pounds off, but um uh yeah there's it's really hard to prepare for that without actually doing it and it's just a great test to get out there and try some of this stuff i, I guess one thing that i would kind of uh <laughs> incorporate into the whole discussion about preparation is you know you can you can prepare a lot physically um but you also got to work on the mental toughness game Absolutely. for sure because <laughs> yeah on that hike in that was that was a girthy hike, man. We were yeah, side no hilling uh, in some pretty gnarly scree. Um, it, it definitely was not like a leisurely walk in the park. No. It was. Uh, it wasn't like the worst thing that either of us has ever done, I'm sure. But it's it's definitely good to have some hours in with your pack, just kind of embracing getting outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, growing a little bit in the yeah. zone of discomfort uh, and having having a base of that before you get to the area oh, where you're going to be man. hunting so that you just know like oh, okay i've done this before it's a, you know this pack is heavier than i want and my boots are probably rubbing me a little bit but yeah, yeah. i can get oh, it that's, done that's huge man like you want a training hike go off the trail like you know like we were busting through alders not a ton but i mean Dude, walking through brush versus walking through a trail is night and day difference. And while you said that about boots, I mean, um, that's another thing about gear that I wanted to mention too is like, so for example, we we went on this training hike and I had a pair of boots, like a you know, $250 pair of boots. And they were great. They were comfortable. They were waterproof. They kept my feet dry. No blisters, no issues. Great. Um, and then... My dad got me a gift and he wanted to get me some really nice boots. So I got some really nice, expensive Italian leather boots. Um, and I wore those and I got blisters. <laughs> so go, you know, it, it might not be the boots. It could be they didn't fit me right or I don't know for exactly what. But the point is go with what works. Don't go with perceived quality. Um, I'm not here to blast any brand or promote any brand, but test your gear. Don't go with the stuff that has the cool name just because it has a cool name. Go with the stuff that works. Um, that's one thing I wanted to mention because my $500 boots gave me blisters. My $250 boots do not. But anyway, more on that later. Yeah, I mean, 
pretty much any kind of Western hunt that you do. I mean, you read this everywhere, but pretty much any kind of Western hunt, you're not going to be very successful if you have a bad footwear situation oh, going yeah. on. You know, you got to you gotta at least have, I'd say, 10, 15 miles yeah. in your boots before you think about taking it out there because you can do that much in one day. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, I had like 30 to – I'd say between 30 and 50 miles on those boots. Yeah. But here's the thing. I didn't have them in – like mountains, like going elevation up and down. with yeah. a 60 pound pack. On right. Back. Yeah. I even had pack miles, but they were flat miles. And, uh-huh. and that's totally different from going up and down hills where you're getting rubbing in different areas. So yeah. the closer you can replicate your, your, uh, what you're going to be doing, the better, um, just in general, but okay, guys, that wraps up the first half of this two part episode about our Alaskan caribou adventure. Um, as I promised, I want to share with you some of the invaluable pieces of gear that I meticulously researched and um, and used on this trip. Some stuff that I highly recommend you checking into before you go on Alaska or really any backcountry trip. So uh, here's that. I wanted to give you guys kind of a quick, not exhaustive, but a quick list of some of the really key pieces of gear that I... A lot of these things I knew almost nothing about before this trip and before getting into backpack hunting, but um, these were items that I had to do some research on and learn about and and picked up before the trip, and these were invaluable items to me. So I thought it might be helpful just to run down kind of this little list I made here. So first of all is your water filtration. Obviously, water is a huge deal. Um, And so I used a Sawyer Squeeze. Me and Ned both did. Uh, They're very cheap and easy to pick up on Amazon. I used a Sawyer Squeeze Mini or Micro, I'm not sure. Um, very easy, you basically, you order um, clean water or dirty water bags. Um, I recommend buying at least two or three um, one liter bags. And uh, so then you can fill them up as you're hiking. If you come across a water source or whatever, you can just fill those up and um, and throw them in your pack and then what you do is we also bring a Nalgene. I brought a um, platypus three liter water bladder as well as a Nalgene, which is also really helpful because what you can do is you take your Sawyer Squeeze, one liter bags, fill them up, and you basically just put on the, um, the, the bag, connect it to the filter, and squeeze the bag into your clean water vessel. Um, but you can just grab water whenever you see it if you have a couple of those bags. And the cool thing about the Sawyer Squeeze thing is it's uh, it fits on most screw tops. So even like, you know, like a smart water bottle or other standard size water bottles, it can screw onto. So it's a really great piece of gear. I recommend Sawyer Squeeze and a Platypus um, Bladder. So uh, the next thing that was a big deal for me um, was I used Lakey or Lakey, not sure how you pronounce it, trekking poles. Um, I spent a little extra and got the super light like carbon fiber ones, but these things really kept me from busting my face several times when we were, uh, you know, side hilling and hitting these areas with heavy scree, um, you know, especially with the heavier pack, it was invaluable and definitely worth the wait to have the trekking poles. Plus they can come in handy for makeshift shelters, um, and, and even gun rests in some cases. So I recommend trekking poles for this kind of thing. Um, my tent and sleep system, I used a big Agnes copper spur HV UL tent. Um, 
which HV just means high volume and UL means ultralight. It's ultralight one person backpacking tent, but I was super pleased with this thing. Um, it's not like super cheap, but it's not crazy expensive, but you know, you don't want to cut corners on your shelter and your sleep system, especially in Alaska. Um, we had several days with fairly high 30, 40 mile winds, um, you know, rain, um, very moist conditions. Uh, this tent held up beautifully. I stayed dry the entire time. Um, plenty of room in there for me. I'm a not a huge guy, but I'm not small guy either. I'm, you know, about six foot. And um, the other thing that was great about it was it had a really large vestibule on the side uh, for storing stuff under, which was very handy. Um, you know, stuff you don't want to necessarily drag into your tent, but you need to keep it dry and handy. Also, um, I brought a big dry bag, like just the REI dry bag, and a couple of contractor trash bags also. Um, and that was really awesome. Um, the dry bags are a little more expensive, I guess, but I would bring both. The dry bags, you know, you can keep your stuff organized, keep them, keep stuff just another layer of protection for your, I don't know, electronics, extra clothes and stuff like that, and even food. So I would throw in an extra dry bag or two. Um, and the contractor bags are awesome just to, you know, as a backup, you know, you want to throw your whole pack in there or, you know, if you got to throw your tent in there real fast or just whatever, it's just great to have like a really packable and easy and cheap waterproof thing. You can just throw stuff in. Um, on the same note of sleep system, I took a Thermarest uh, Neolite uh, sleeping pad. Uh, super light. I, I researched a bunch of them. Um, very comfortable, easy to blow up. Um, I would recommend that one, uh, Thermarest. Uh, also, uh, bring an extra tarp. I actually have another Marmot two-person tent, and I actually just used the footprint of that and brought that along as a tarp for, you know, like a makeshift makeshift shelter or um, you know, we set it up and threw our packs under there, you know, when we were kind of taking breaks and stuff. So it's always glad it's always a good idea just to have some kind of tarp um, just for whatever you can it's very useful in a lot of ways um, I had the I had a mountain smith um, I believe it is 20 degree bag we talk about it later in the episode but I would recommend even for August in Alaska a 20 degree or even a 15 degree bag it's not gonna get that cold but you will be happy you have it trust me um, for cooking I use the MSR pocket rocket I know I think Ned does too um, might not be as efficient as a jet boil or something. I'm not sure, but, uh, the MSR was super light, super packable, very easy to use. I mean, it's idiot proof. The, um, fuel canisters, I had a small fuel canister and it still lasted all week. No problem with extra. So they're pretty efficient. Um, and that was, that was great. Um, you know, rain gear, I was using Sitka, um, I think it was Thunderhead or Thundercloud or whatever, something like that. Um, it's not the it's not the most lightweight, and it's not the smallest in terms of volume of your inside your pack rain gear. Um, so if you need to go ultralight, you might want to look at some of the other stuff. But guys, if you're going to Alaska, you need to just pony up, buy once, cry once, buy some really quality rain gear. And I would recommend buying it a size or two big, even though it's going to be bigger and a little heavier, to um, so you can put it on you know outside of layers if you need to. 
Another thing I would highly recommend investing in, I got the um, Kuyu, um, I think they're called Super Down Pro uh, Puffies, top and bottom jacket and pants. Um, man, they're, it's like wearing a sleeping bag and they're super warm. You can put it under your rain gear if you need to and they pack down into their own pocket. So you can literally stuff the entire jacket into its own pocket and the pants are the same. Uh, and they're super light and packable and just like invaluable, um, very warm. And um, also they breathe well and they have, uh, you know, the armpits zip open and you can zip the pants off extremely quick and easily to get them off and on with keeping your boots on still or just to let uh, you know, let them breathe a little bit. So those are great. Kuyu puffies and um, and uh, anyway, so pack. I went with the XO Mountain Gear 4800 K3. Uh, I was very, very pleased with this pack and the features. Uh, everything was easy to access, easy to pack. Uh, it has a really cool feature for your water bladder. It's got its own fully like enclosed waterproof compartment for your bladder. You can drop that right in or you can drop your dirty water bags in when you're out uh, you know, hiking throughout the day. Uh, really pleased with this pack. Um, very durable. The guys at Exo Mountain Gear have amazing customer service. They'll help you out getting that thing fit right for yourself. Um, but anyway, another spot you don't want to cut corners in your cost savings necessarily is a pack. Invest in a good pack, especially if this is something you want to start doing. This uh, mountain hunting, uh, get yourself a, a really light and good pack that's comfortable and get it fit right. That fit is huge. Um, of course, you got to have some kind of uh, emergency SOS and communication system. Uh, Ned was running a Garmin InReach Mini. I had a regular full-size InReach. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's other good products out there, but that's what we used, and they were awesome. Um, for a bear defense gun, you know, we had bear spray, but um, I personally feel more comfortable with a sidearm. I ended up going with a Glock 20, 10 millimeter. Uh, with some Buffalo bore 220 grain, um, you know, uh, bullets, um, the words blanking on me, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, definitely peace of mind having that 10 millimeter. And, um, you know, a lot of guys go back and forth on this with ver revolvers versus, um, the Glock. But for me, I'm used to the Glock platform. I like it a lot. Um, and you have that 15 round magazine. So just having 15 rounds versus six with a revolver. And plus for me, um, the recoil is much more manageable and easier to shoot in a Glock platform than you know a huge caliber uh, little revolver. So I went the Glock 20 and I used the chest holster. I used a Razco on this trip, a holster that went right under my bino harness. Um, I'm probably going to change that system up a little bit just because it's a little cumbersome to have to put, you know, your optics and your sidearm on every time you want to take off and on your bino harness. But I still recommend a chest holster. I like those a lot. Um, but the Razco is a good one too. Actually, the guys over at Black Point Tactical just sent me their um, Outback chest harness. And I think I'm going to be running that this year on my trip to Kodiak. It's... Um, it's pretty nice because it can go right under your bino harness um, if you like a chest holster. I run chest holsters because you usually have a pack on, and with the hip, you know, waist belt on the pack, it's just better for me to have the chest harness, um, so or the chest holster. 
and this black point tactical one uh, keeps your weapon in there nice and secure and the thing I like a lot about it versus another uh, chest holster I've run before is the straps are kind of smaller and the ergonomics like the other one I had had these big uh, buckles that go like you know under where your shoulder straps or your pack would go and they start to rub and um, it's pretty uncomfortable but these or I mean this black point tactical outback chest holster has really small um, and well-designed straps that don't really get in the way of your um, pack straps and other stuff so check them out black point tactical um, Food, you know, we went with basically um, mountain houses for breakfast and dinner, and then I packed, you know, um, a, a couple of homemade like trail mix, like I had like dried berries and nuts, and um, I I like the Mountain Ops makes these uh, protein bars. It's like 20 grams of protein. I think it's like 270 calories, uh, but only five grams of sugar. Um, so I packed a bunch of those. There's another company called Grab the Gold that I took these. Uh, um, like these really good gluten-free and um, they're basically like um, no-bake cookies. They're delicious and pretty high calorie and, um, you know, quality food. And um, so make sure you take plenty of snacks. You know, um, the weight does start to add up with food, but um, bring some, you know, bring some sweet stuff, bring some salty stuff. And, you know, a lot of guys will bring like Snickers and stuff back in there. That's fine. If you want to bring candy, like go for it. But for me, I had been eating clean for months and I didn't want to just bring a bunch of junk back there. Um, and plus those Mountain Ops bars are literally to me just about as good as a candy bar and they only have five grams of sugar. So I, I went with those. But um, uh, let's see. And lastly, uh, well, not last. So bring some tape. I ended up using some tape. A good tip I learned from Ned is he wrapped, I don't know, several feet of duct tape around his Nalgene. So you're not carrying a big roll of tape back there, but you just got some tape for whatever you might need it for. So, um, throw a couple feet around your Nalgene. I actually use it on my feet. Um, and then, you know, bring band-aids and stuff like that, you know, you know, bring some diarrhea, anti-diarrheal, like some Advil, some Tylenol, multivitamin if you take it you know i i definitely was hitting up some uh, ibuprofen on the latter parts of this hunt um, and the band-aids were big um you know hopefully you can test your foot gear out and know that you're going to be straight but i was having to wrap my feet uh you know in the beginning of the trip to do preventative care on them so be ready for that if you think you might need it and lastly i brought a little packable bible it's the new testament psalms and proverbs um a lot of guys might say it's not worth the wait or whatever. For me, uh, you know, you guys know where I stand on my on my faith, and it was huge. Not only just giving me something to kind of read and, and look at in my downtime, but man, when things were hard and things were tough, and I was kind of stuck in my tent because of the weather or whatever, missing home a little bit. Uh, you know, having that Bible to read and and uh, and pray with, it was just that was a game changer for me. It really kept me going when stuff was hard. So. So that's just a few notes on gear. Uh, I try to squeeze as much as I could into a small amount of time. If you have questions, please reach out, uh, DM me at huntersquest underscore, or you can email me hunter at thisishuntersquest.com. And definitely, as always, stay tuned, stay up to date on social media. Please hit that subscribe button on the podcast. It really helps me out. And you don't want to miss the next episode, which I'm going to release in a few days, where me and Ned really go through the details of the trip and how everything went down. 
So you don't want to miss that. So we're looking forward to seeing you on the next episode, and thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to Hunter's Quest Podcast. And make sure you stay up to date on Instagram at huntersquest underscore with pictures and videos from the stories we tell here and just my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're going to be having on here. I'm also more than happy to answer any questions you guys might have, whether it's about hunting or spiritual stuff or fitness or gear. Also, if you like what you hear and you want to stay on this journey with me, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. It helps me out big time. So yeah, shoot me a message anytime, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and continuing this quest together.